Tappers, welcome in to the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope everybody is doing well. We have a great show today. We're going to talk Packers-Rams. We're going to do star ratings from the game. We're going to talk about the Bucks signing Boogie, a little Bucks Pacers as well. And then talk about the Brewers missing out on Avisail Garcia, or probably not missing out, letting Avi walk to Miami. So a loaded show today. Excited to talk to you. You know you can rate, review, subscribe, do all those things. Uh, we appreciate it. We love you for it. But let's waste no more time and talk about the Packers and the Los Angeles Rams. Packers-Rams could not have been a more one-sided game for the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers were in control of this game for most of it. It felt like a Packers victory from almost the start. I don't think there was one time... In this game where I really felt nervous that the Packers were going to lose this game. And that's been a rarity, honestly. Um, Seattle, I still think even though the Packers shut out Seattle, there were a lot of moments in that game where I was like, fuck, we could, could lose this game. Like, it's really close. It's really tight. And so this is probably the first time in a while, right? Maybe since the Chicago game where really Green Bay had full control for most of the of the football game. And even in that Chicago game, the Packers got off to a slow start before turning on the Jets and getting everything going. Maybe the Washington game would be a better example. doesn't matter. We can debate that at some other time. But Green Bay was in control of this football game. And yes, they did win 36-28. to And it looks a lot closer than it actually was. And if, it, if you also take, take away Matt Stafford's two bombs that he had in this game, it is a 36-14 to football game. And it looks really good. It looks even better that the Green Bay Packers were a dominant team yet again and kind of showed their teeth as the top contender in the NFC. 12 days ago, I had a podcast saying the Packers were the best team in the NFC. I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to talk about the Packers as the best team in the NFC this week. I'm not surprised that they are late to the party. I think that me being a fan, me being a little bit biased, is going to lead me to be to declare that a little bit earlier than everybody else. We all are Bill Simmons fans. You know, he's been on the Patriots bandwagon and saying how good the Patriots have been for weeks. And now the Patriots are the top team in the AFC and a legitimate Super Bowl contender. So Bill was ahead of the curve with that one. I feel like I'm ahead of the curve with the Green Bay Packers. Arizona still might have something to say about it, but the Packers are right on their heels. And I would argue that if this was like the BCS or the college football playoff, that the Packers have a better quality of wins so far this year, including a victory against Arizona, as well as a win against the Los Angeles Rams and a win against the San Francisco 49ers on the road, who's also a playoff team at this point. They have a very good resume. But back to Packers and Rams, the Packers offense and defense looked up to the task to look like the best team in the NFC, and they did not care about injuries. None of the injuries mattered. This team is banged up. This team is battered and bruised. We left that Minnesota game saying, just get us to the bye week. Just get us to the bye week. Yes, we do have to play the Rams. A lot of people did not have faith in the Green Bay Packers because of all of the injuries heading into this one. And we didn't do a prediction on the tapping the keg because Mitch and I didn't tape last week. We'll be back on Wednesday. But I think I would have picked the Packers to win this game, even though all of the injuries because of Lambeau Field. 
Lambeau Field is one of the greatest equalizers in all of sports. Not just in the NFL, but in all of sports. Lambeau Field is a complete home field advantage, and it showed its own teeth on Sunday because Lambeau is is a really tough place to play. And it gets even tougher as it gets colder because no one's cold in that stadium besides the opposition. No one of the Packers are cold. None of the fans are cold. Everybody is screaming their dick off and trying to will the Packers to victory. And this has been a loud-ass season from the Green Bay Packer fans. And I think a lot of it is due to the fact that we had COVID last year and people weren't able to go to games. And so everybody is not taking it for granted. I know Aaron Nagler has the entitled town and he likes to talk about people who don't want to stand and everything like that. And I think I noted 12 days ago, like I stood for most of the game uh, against Seattle. I think that has completely changed. I think that narrative has changed because I think the sports fan right now wants to watch football and they want to cheer on their team because they it was taken away from them for a year. And when you take something away that is so special, you forget how good it was. You forget how much you enjoyed being in that stadium and being there for a big game and having that big game environment. This thing had a heavyweight fight from the start and the fans were up for the task. And the cold weather plus the fans plus ball control Packer football is exactly what Green Bay wants to do throughout the entire month of December and the entire month of January. And it's why no team in the NFC wants to see Lambeau Field come January. They do not want to come back to January. The Rams want nothing to do with Lambeau Field because it is such a great equalizer against the oppositions because nobody is prepared for it and no one is ready for what Lambeau can bring. And this was the soft side of Lambeau. A little bit chilly. I think the wind chills got down to 20. That's fucking nothing. It can get a lot worse and it will. I promise you there will be bad weather games in Lambeau in December and January and the Packers are going to be up for the task. The thing that makes Lambeau even more of a home field advantage at this point is A.J. Dillon. Now, A.J. Dillon will not be featured in star ratings, but A.J. Dillon is the great equalizer. He is the perfect back for Green Bay Packer football in December and January. I know there was a lot of hand-wringing about A.J. Dillon back when he was picked as a second-round pick out of Boston College. No one had A.J. Dillon going in the second round. A.J. Dillon was told that he couldn't catch. There were people who thought that A.J. Dillon was a one-dimensional back and thought there was no way that A.J. Dillon could do the things that I think he's doing right now for the Green Bay Packers and providing that sort of dash and smash offense for the Packers with Aaron Jones. Now, their running game was not great today. But you could see sort of the development. You could see the start of something. You could see sort of that carrot. It's like when you're watching a show like Succession or Yellowstone. And you kind of see that carrot. You kind of see that little nugget that's been laid. And you're like, okay, they might come back to that later in the season. Like It would not surprise me if that character shows up or that storyline shows up. The A.J. Dillon storyline, we saw remnants of it last year, and I think this was the start of how brutal the Packers can be offensively to the opposition with A.J. Dillon just being a battering ram. 
no pun intended, to the Los Angeles Rams because they are able to ground and pound and then throw it over the top with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. So no matter the weapons issue, no matter the amount of injuries, the offensive line concerns, Green Bay Packer, the Green Bay Packers have exactly the type of team that can win at Lambeau Field. And they have not had that really in my lifetime, honestly. They, may, I shouldn't, maybe not in my lifetime. That might be a little intense. They, they've definitely had the Dorsey Levins teams of the 90s, even the Ryan Grant teams of the early 2000s were built for Lambeau Field. But the late stage McCarthy teams, the early Matt LaFleur teams kind of didn't have that. Even though Aaron Jones is a great running back, Aaron Jones is not necessarily, is not necessarily a cold weather running back. That is not what Aaron Jones is. That's totally fine. Like I, I love Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones is a great player. I do think that Aaron Jones is probably going to get cut after the season or next season because they don't need him. Like AJ Dillon is the dude. They can get another Aaron Jones like back out of the draft in years to come. But AJ Dillon is the perfect fit for how you want to run the Packers in in December and January, and the bruising, punishing hits are going to be enough for teams to cry uncle. Teams are going to quit out there with A.J. Dillon running the football, and that's what makes Green Bay so lethal, is they also have a defense that is going to hit you too. And they, they have a defense that is not going to be soft. And when you have a tough-nosed defense that is going to deliver punishing hit after punishing hit, on top of that cold weather, you're not going to want to be out there. And this defense continues to shine. Yeah, they gave up some big plays today, but there were so many other really good moments where you have to smile your smile and say, this team is built for Lambeau Field. And that is really it's really special. It really makes things it makes things different because there were years where we wondered, do the Packers even want home field advantage? They'd be better off in a dome. We're not saying that anymore. And the reason why is because of guys like A.J. Dillon. It's guys like Devondra Campbell. It's guys like Rasul Douglas. It's guys like Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary. And there, they, there's a chance that Green Bay can only get stronger from here. That is the scary thing. That's the scary thing. The Packers are not going to stop just here. They have not hit their peak. I could argue with the, the New England Patriots, there is a little bit, do, have they peaked too soon? The, the Bills game next week is a hell of a test for that Patriots team. But there is a lot of conversation, did the Patriots peak too soon? You look at the Green Bay Packers, and they might not have peaked yet, even though they look like the best team in the NFC, because they don't have David Bakhtiari, they don't have Jair Alexander, they don't have Zadarius Smith. And if they get all three of those guys back on top of what this team is already doing, the sky's the limit. The Packers might run away with the NFC. It might not even be close. And I think there has to be some realism from people to say this Packer team has a real shot here. Not just to make the Super Bowl, but to win the Super Bowl. Like I'm all the way in. Like there are years where I'm kind of like, all right, things got to go our way or someone else. I'm not scared of anybody not scared of Tampa Bay and I'm not scared of Arizona or Dallas and it pro- it is probably Lambo influenced but I just look at them and I know the Packers are better than all of them. 
Could they lose to those teams? Yeah, for sure. Any given Sunday. I mean, the Packers could lose to the fucking Dolphins. They could lose They could lose to the Jaguars if they weren't lucky. Like, football is a crazy fucking sport, and things can break in ways that you don't want to. But if Green Bay is at Lambeau for the postseason, every team is fucked. There's only one team that I pinpointed where I was like, okay, they actually might have a, a style that fits Lambeau Field and could actually be a problem if they were to face the Packers inside the Hallow Halls. But if you look at a team like Arizona, West Coast team, huge test next week against Chicago. Now you guys are like, God, they're playing the Bears. They're probably playing Andy Dalton. They're seven-point favorite. How the hell is that a huge test? I think it'll be probably in the 30s in Chicago. If Arizona responds well to the cold, if Kyler Murray responds well to the cold, then I change my viewpoint a little bit on Arizona. I just do. I, I You have to, even though it's Chicago, you have to take it a little more serious that they're able to handle the cold. If they're able to withstand the cold, that changes my perspective on Arizona. If they fall on their face and lose, which by the way, I'll be taking the Bears in that game and I'll probably take the money line, it's it's totally a different story. It's a, it's a completely different conversation about what Arizona might be. Dallas, they play in a dome. They didn't even really ha- handle moderate temperatures that well last week in Kansas City, only scoring nine points with pretty much their entire offense available to them. Now, they have Tyron Smith on the offensive line, but Kansas, but Dallas looks a lot like some of the Mike McCarthy teams we have seen in the past where they go through swoons. We saw it with Green Bay all the time where there'd be three or four weeks where we're like, what the fuck is this football team? And that's kind of what I think you're seeing with the Dallas Cowboys. Tampa Bay played really well here in January, but remember, they were limited fans, all right? Like, that was not a full-throated Lambeau Field crowd, and they hate Tampa Bay. They hate Tom Brady. People were cheering for Tampa Bay losing to Washington two weeks ago at Lambeau Field. There is a real disdain for the Buccaneers. I think a lot a lot of people feel like Tampa stole our Super Bowl last year, which is somewhat true, somewhat not. It basically is... David Bakhtiari's ACL stole our Super Bowl. That's what you should be able to say. But there is a real hate for them. And I think if Tampa were to come back to Green Bay, that crowd will be on full fucking tilt. It'll be on tilt for anybody, but Tampa is another level. And let's not forget, Tampa has struggled on the road this year. They are not the same team away from Raymond James. I don't even know if they call Raymond James anymore. doesn't matter. They are not as good on the road. Now, they won today, but if they didn't force a bunch of turnovers, that's not a win for them. They came from behind. They were down 10 points heading into the second half and turned Wentz over enough to make things happen for them because they could have easily lost to Indianapolis, and we would have been talking about another Buccaneers loss. Minnesota in a dome. Delvin Cook had to get carted off the shoulder injury. If they don't have Delvin Cook, that's a massive loss for Minnesota. We'll we'll wait and see. They do have the ability to run the football, but again, I don't look at Minnesota as a threat. Los Angeles, I think we've seen this story before. They can't handle the cold, and they their real pathway to making a Super Bowl is not having to go into the cold. And lastly, the team that could actually give the Packers some trouble is San Francisco because it's Kyle Shanahan. 
Kyle Shanahan can run the football. The Debo Samuel thing, now he heard his growing. He's a real X factor, has kind of changed their season. Elijah Mitchell had another 100-yard game on the ground. Jimmy G's doing just enough. They look like that San Francisco team from a couple of years ago. And that is very scary. That is a scary proposition going forward with that 49er football team. And they're lurking, in my opinion. Right now, they are the only team that I feel like the Packers would have a real fight even in Lambeau Field, besides Tampa Bay. I, I do think Tampa Bay is is still the champ, and you have to respect that even with their road struggles. But to kind of wrap this up before we go to star ratings, Lambeau is the ultimate wild card. Lambeau is the home field advantage that every other team in the NFC wishes they had. And if this playoffs has to run through Lambeau, while it did last year and it didn't work out for the Packers, it's an entirely different ballgame with a full group of fans yelling and screaming their asses off. And it's going to be something else in that stadium in January when it is full throat trying to get this team to a Super Bowl. And I think everybody right now believes they're a Super Bowl team. And it's not just the fans. It's the players. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's the last guy on the bench guarding the guarding the water cooler. Everybody believes in the Super Bowl and knows that is the goal. And I think the Packers are, are hell-bent on getting there. And if they, if they really want to enhance their odds, they get that number one seed. So they need to win out and make sure that that number one seed is part of the Green Bay Packers and no one else. All right, moving on to star ratings. Uh, star ratings, we go five stars to one star, kind of talking more in depth about the Packer and Rams game from a player perspective versus one overall large topic. We only have one five-star today, and it's Rasul Douglas. Rasul Douglas had a fantastic football game. I know he gave up a long pass to Odell Beckham Jr., but I truly do not care. That truly does not bother me in the grand scheme of things because he he did so much more in this football game. Taking back the interception for the touchdown was a monumental play in this football game. The interception return put it at 36-17. to After the Packers had just got a field goal, they were able to return it for six, and that was the football game. That was sort of the moment where the Green Bay Packers had full control of this one. And it wasn't just the pick six for Rasul Douglas. He had six tackles, three, three solos. He also came up with four pass deflections in this game, which is pretty fucking good, and held Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup in check for the most part besides that one jailbreak play. You got to give him a lot of credit, and he's really looking like the number two cornerback when J.R. Alexander comes back. I don't think... Anyone should be getting snaps over Rasul Douglas, especially a guy like Kevin King. I think Kevin King's been a lot better um, than he has been in weeks past, but still, or years past, maybe not weeks past, still, I Rasul Douglas is the dude. Rasul Douglas it has really bought into this Joe Barry system and knows exactly where he needs to be and seems to be Johnny on the spot. 
he could have had another pick in this one as well. Uh, he had another drop. He had a dropped interception at one point, which has been an issue for Green Bay Packers to say the least. But yeah, it, it he is the number two guy for this team. He's been so valuable to what Green Bay has done in the secondary. And to just think that we all were bitching and moaning about him, me too, that they had signed him over Stephon Gilmore. We're like, Jesus Christ. We could have got Stephon Gilmore and now we're getting Rasul Douglas, who is on Arizona's practice squad. Guy's been an asset. And he's really flourishing right now with this Packers team. A lot of four stars. Uh, we'll try to run through all, all four or three of them. Aaron Rodgers, I thought, was really good in this game. I know the quarterback rating didn't get up to 100, probably because he had 45 attempts and only completed 28 of them. 307 yards, um, two touchdowns. I thought his deep ball kind of finally started to develop. Like He hit Marquez Valdez-Scantlin for a nice one. He hit Devontae Adams for a nice deep pass. The one to Aquanimus St. Brown that he bobbled and dropped or whatever, that was right on target. It just... It was probably a little too tight of a deep ball. But Rodgers is starting to finally find that, which is really good. He struggled all year with the deep ball. He could not really seem to get that going. That seems to finally be working in his favor. That's the only thing that that's a drawback from the bye week is you don't get Aaron Rodgers and his deep ball sort of continuing that momentum and, and pushing that forward. He does need rest, no question about it. But Rodgers did not necessarily look like a guy with a fractured pinky, pinky toe. He looked like the quarterback that we've always seen him. I do think there might be some people that start putting Rodgers in the MVP race again. I don't think it's out of the question. Um, especially the last two weeks have been really impressive for Rodgers. He's coming on strong where I do think there's going to be some talk about it. And if Green Bay were to get the number one seed again, I do think Rodgers would be considered yet again for that MVP position, which is absolutely absurd to think about Rodgers winning yet another MVP, especially given all the issues he's had with the media this year. So maybe that would work against Rodgers' favor. Adrian Amos had some major moments in this game. He's another four-star for me. He had a huge hit on a fourth and one uh, on the the Green Bay 29, or no, it was Los Angeles 29, excuse me. And the Rams inexplicably went for it. And I saw Aaron Schatz, who I like, but Aaron Schatz was like, we need to normalize going for it on fourth down, e even in those type of situations. It's like, no, dude, that's just a bad decision. Like, I don't care what your fucking supercomputer tells you. That's just a bad decision. That was Sean McVay overthinking himself. He was lucky that the Packers were only able to get a field goal out of that because in a lot of ways, if Green Bay gets a touchdown there, it's 14-0, and the route could have been on. Adrian Amos made a huge stick on that play to stop him in the backfield. That was a playmaking moment from Adrian Amos. He had four tackles in this one. He just seems to be everywhere. That's the thing I like about Adrian Amos. It's not necessarily that it comes through in the stat sheet. He just always seems to be involved with big plays and makes them or is around them, which is what you, what you need in one of your defensive captains. So Adrian Amos gets a four-star for me. Rashawn Gary does too. Rashawn Gary has the strip sack 
of Matthew Stafford early in this game. He's playing with a hyperextended elbow. It didn't really matter. Rashawn Gary was able to get to the quarterback on Andrew Whitworth, who's been one of the best left tackles in football this year. Rashawn Gary made him look like a mediocre left tackle at points points of this game. Rashawn Gary's been a pro bowler. And I think a lot of people who thought Rashawn Gary was a reach at 12 who didn't want Rashawn Gary should just be deleting tweets in their off time. Like that's all they should be doing is deleting every mean tweet they said about Rashawn Gary. Because this guy who had a question about his motor, who had a question about if he could turn it on, all of that has went out the door. Mike Smith deserves a ton of credit for his development of Rashawn Gary. That, that to me, is one of those guys that does gets sort of forgotten. But Mike Smith has done a fantastic job with Rashawn Gary. And he really shined through in this football game. Moving to the three stars, Randall Cobb. Man, too bad Randall Cobb got hurt. Um, I think he would have got a four star for me had he been able to play the entire game. He was ruled out with a groin injury at halftime. I would imagine it was one of those things where he was playing on pure adrenaline. Once the adrenaline slowed down, you got to the locker room. Oh shit, my groin fucking hurts. And they're like, yeah, you're out of the game. Uh, Four catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. Really strong performance from Randall Cobb, um, who is establishing himself as the third down guy for Aaron Rodgers. He was that for his entire career, and that he's back to that role. And he was running really hard out there. That's the other thing I love about Randall Cobb is Randall Cobb does not go out of bounds. Like he he takes contact straight on. He's not afraid of it. He has a small frame. I mean not even small frame, but he has like a bulky frame that makes him a really tough guy to bring down. And Randall Cobb showed it here. So hopefully that groin injury isn't serious. Hopefully it's just sort of a tweak and he's able to get out there for Chicago. But Randall Cobb does have maybe not the best injury recovery time. Um, he's definitely struggled with that in his in his time with the Green Bay Packers. So I hope that Randall Cobb can be back for Chicago, but I'm not necessarily holding my breath for that one. But a really good first half for him. The muff putt did suck, but again, I, I don't know what Green Bay is doing from a special teams perspective. Other three-star, Kenny Clark. Huge second half for Kenny Clark. Really quiet first half, but then in the second half, he started to wreck shit. He had a big play on a Daryl Henderson run. He then gets a sack of Matt Stafford as the Rams are trying to come back. Kenny Clark has been an all-pro this season. He's been the best player on defense, in my opinion. I look No disrespect to Devondre Campbell. I really like what Devondre Campbell has done, but Kenny Clark every week is making plays and this was another version of mr kenny clark making making the magic happen on the defense speaking of defense and more of the negative sense uh the big play surrender was a real issue for the packers in this one they gave up a lot of them um the two most notable the van jefferson play and the odell beckham play and these big plays are going to keep coming until the Packers can prove otherwise they can stop them. Um, They have to adjust their defense a little bit for them. And I don't know necessarily what Joe Barry will choose to do, but he has to figure out what that looks like, whether that's putting a safety back there, whether that's, you know, making sure you have the right personnel against sort of the quote-unquote burners for, for the team, you know, making making sure that guys aren't biting on big plays 
and running with their dudes because yeah that that's been happening far too much in the last two weeks and they need to nip that in the bud I don't really worry about it with Chicago on two weeks because they do not have a downfield passing attack I do worry about it with Baltimore I know that Lamar Jackson threw about what he threw four interceptions. I think the Ravens won. The game's wrapping up as we were as we were finishing taping. Yeah, the Ravens did win sixteen to ten, but Lamar loves to throw the ball downfield. So the Packers have to be ready for that in a couple of weeks. And right now, I'm a little nervous about that, given the fact they've given up so many big plays through the air in the last two weeks. One star to Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard has not been able to catch the ball in the cold, it seems like. He has to figure it out. Um, I, right now, I know this sounds crazy, and I'm, I was not a huge EQ guy, but I would give more snaps to EQ than I would Alan Lazard. And I know he's coming back from an injury, and maybe that's part of it too, um, but he just needs to be better. Um, he, he did not have a good game. Hopefully it's it is a comeback and hopefully we do see some good moments out of Lazard down the stretch here. And the last one star is to the Matt Stafford hype train. It has fallen off the tracks. It is on its back. It is maybe started on fire. Everybody who said Matt Stafford was going to be this deity, who's going to be an MVP, who is going to, you know, sort of resurrect himself, all of it's bullshit. All of it all of it doesn't matter. Matt Stafford was always this guy. It was always Matt Stafford, and that was who he was. I called him an overrated bum in the review. I mean every word of it. Matt Stafford was always second fiddle to Aaron Rodgers. He's now 7-14 against the Green Bay Packers. Matt Stafford is allergic to big wins. He beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and that was it. And Matt Stafford seems to really struggle as the year goes on takes too many hits he has a little bit of Ben Ben Roethlisberger in him in that and he's never sort of the same and even though he does have good receivers and good weapons in front of him he makes a couple boneheaded plays throughout the game Matt Stafford is not a trustworthy quarterback and anyone who thought that Matt Stafford was going to solve all of Sean McVay's problems was sorely mistaken and I told you guys this from the start I just wish you would have listened to me because I had this all of the way. And so the Rams, to me, are a very fraudulent team. They beat some bad teams. They haven't beat a lot of good teams. They'll play the Jaguars next week. They'll probably beat the shit out of them. And then they'll go play the Cardinals on a Monday night, which will be a massive game. And we'll see if Matt Stafford can rise from the, fiend, rise from the ashes and sort of turn down the haters, at least for that game. But I'll tell you right now, Matt Stafford is not a guy you won in the postseason. He would not make me feel good, and I'm very glad that my quarterback is Aaron Rodgers and not Matt Stafford. Let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brewers before riding out of here. Uh, There was some Bucks and Brewers news during the game uh, today, so that's that's crazy. Uh, You had the Bucks signing Boogie Cousins. Boogie! Uh, So Boogie Cousins is going to be a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. It is a non-guaranteed deal. Uh, It is a very fun ad. I am very curious to see what the Bucks could do with Boogie Cousins. I've been 
clamoring for Boogie for years. Um, I know he's not the greatest locker room guy, but I would argue that the Bucks have one of the best locker rooms in general. Um, he's coming to probably some of the best team chemistry in all of the land. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are probably the only other team that has just as good, if not a little bit better maybe, chemistry than what the Milwaukee Bucks have. So I think Boogie's heading into a perfect situation. It's a great lottery ticket. It's finally adding another big man on a very low cost, and it could be a potential high reward. He adds a ton of rebounding, which is definitely needed, and there is a little hot piss to him, which you gotta love. Um, they they always can use guys who have a little bit of anger, a little bit of, of, of fuck you energy, and now they have a lot of guys that are going to get under people's skins with DeMarcus Cousins, Grayson Allen, Bobby Portis. The Bucks are going to be a team that not a lot of other teams are fond of playing. Uh, Giannis also rubs guys the wrong way for some reason. I don't know how that can happen, but it does. Um, I also can see Cousins thriving in that dunker role. Like I can see him just being able to get dump offs from Giannis and just dunking him home. I think Boogie's going to get a lot of them. I know he probably doesn't have the jump that he used to, but there are going to be some real opportunities for Boogie Cousins. And it was already endorsed by Giannis and Pat Connaughton, who both tweeted out something about him. Um, they're they're, they're going to be in a nice spot here. And now you have veterans actively coming to Milwaukee because they want to ring. They want to play with Giannis. It's fun, man. This is new new world type shit. And I know John Wall, one of his teams that he was interested in was the Bucks, And it's the exact same reason. These guys want rings. These guys want an opportunity to chase a ring. And they don't really care how much they play or how much they don't play as long as it ends in a championship. But Boogie's going to get a lot of time. Boogie's going to get some minutes. Um, I'll be curious to know if he'll be playing against Charlotte or if it'll wait till Toronto or even Miami. And now Miami will be fun. Um, that, that'll be a game where you really actually need a, need a Boogie Cousins to be able to compete with guys like Bam Adebayo uh, on the inside as Bobby Portis' defense is not the best. Boogie's isn't that great either, but he's a little bit of a different sized guy that you can throw at Bam. So I'm, I'll be curious to see what happens there. Bucks also probably need to tell us what's wrong with Brooke Lopez and how long he'll be out. They've been so coy about this, and if we're being honest, they probably do not make this deal if Brooke Lopez is coming back next week. So let us know what's what's going on with him. Rip the Band-Aid. If he's out till the All-Star game, that's fine. I'd rather have him well-rested. I don't necessarily think the Bucks, quote-unquote, need Brooke Lopez in, in every one of their basketball games. So if he's out till... He's out till the All-Star break, so be it. That it is what it is what it is, honestly. Um, and they can survive with either a guy like Boogie Cousins or bring some other guy in to try to fill that role. As for the game today, the Milwaukee Bucks were really impressive against Indiana. They own that team. 37 straight wins now for the Bucks against the Central Division. They're still undefeated when Drew Giannis and Chris play. I believe it's 9-0 now. Um, they showed their teeth in this one. One of my favorite sayings. I think I'm saying that way too much, but that's okay. That's a little critique in the moment for me. The Bucks only made eight threes, and they still won by 18 points. That's when you know things are really rolling 
for Milwaukee. I watched a lot of highlights after the game because uh, they played an overlap over the Packers. It was impressive how they just sort of took care of business against the Pacers in the second half. They were it was they were only up five heading into the third quarter, and then the Bucks got hot and they locked them down defensively. And Indiana was no match for this Milwaukee team. They got on two pretty significant runs that put them up 20 at different points in that second second half. And Indiana still has not been able to figure out how to beat Milwaukee. And it, I will not take Indiana seriously until they actually put up legitimate fights against this Bucks team. Because this is another year now where Indiana just does not have the horses to run with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and they've been playing well. Like they've been one of the top ten teams in net rating in the last ten games. Like it's not like the Pacers have been a slouch. So that makes this win even more impressive for the Bucks. They went out there and just kicked the living shit out of the Pacers, even without not making anything from three. Really good night from Drew Holiday. 20, 23 points, nine assists, seven rebounds. Giannis had a double double. He was ten of fifteen from the floor. Great bench game from George Hill. And Pat, Pat Connaughton both had double figures. I think the Bucks finished with, I want to say, they had seven guys in double figures, which is really impressive uh, for Milwaukee, spreading out the scoring. And that's more carbon copy of what we saw against Denver. Now, I know Jokic was out, but you beat who you're going to beat, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you... You take care of business against no matter the opponent. Okay, if it wasn't for if Grayson Allen gets one more point, they would have had uh, seven guys in double figures. They actually had six uh, with Hill and Connaughton off the bench. Grayson Allen only having eight. But yeah, Bucks win their seventh straight. Man, they will have a couple days off here, which will, I'm sure will be much appreciated. And then they have a three games and four night stretch. They play a House of Highlight Hornets on. Wednesday night, who just lost to Houston. They've not been defending. I think they have a 140 in that game to a lowly Houston team. So that's probably not a good sign when you're facing a, a red-hot Bucks team. Then they go to play Toronto on the road. First time in Toronto for the Bucks in two years, right? Um, so they'll be taking on the Raptors, who've been not, I think what you, you know, Raptors are, are in a rebuilding stage. They kind of got, they kind of were warm early. So I was like, oh, are we doing this thing with Toronto? But now they're kind of falling back to earth. They don't have Gary Trent, who's out with injury. OG Ananobi also been out with an injury. We'll see if those guys will be back when the Bucks play the Raps on Thursday. And then on f Saturday, big matchup with Miami. Um, so definitely a great day. Saturday when it comes to viewing as you got Marquette, Wisconsin, and you have Bucks Heat among the college football championship games. No Badgers. Um, we'll talk about the Badgers on Tuesday. I want to do that as sort of my lead segment because, like I said, the Bucks, we had the boogie news. And for the Brewers, moving on to them, we had the Avi Garcia news. Uh, Avi Garcia now signs with the Miami Marlins. Uh, December 1st has kind of become this deadline for the MLB as the league year is ending. So you're actually seeing a ton of Major League, Major League Baseball deals. Uh, Kevin Gausman signed with the Blue Jays. You have Max Scherzer uh, signing with the Mets. Um, there are just a ton of deals happening, which is awesome. It's really good to see. It's totally different than what Mitch and I bitched about two weeks ago about how the MLB 
doesn't really have an offseason period. It actually feels like this is a legitimate offseason with the hot stove actually burning. The bad news is a work stoppage is coming and the Brewers haven't done a damn thing. So either David Stearns is like, all right, I'm waiting till after December 1. They aren't involved with anybody who's being talked about this. <laughs> like, I, I saw Trevor Story. I don't think the Brewers were mentioned. I uh, would have would have preferred maybe John Gray, even though they don't really need pitching. And I was like, well, John Gray would be an excellent addition. He goes to the Rangers, who are trying to sort of rebuild. What I do love about this offseason, really quick, before we talk about uh, Avisel Garcia and Eduardo Escobar, who both are not on the Brewers anymore, um, I do love that a lot of these tanking teams who've been struggling are just saying, fuck it, let's spend money. I don't really get it, but I, I that's good for baseball. That's really good for baseball that a team like the Rangers signed John Gray, Marcus Simeon, Cole Calhoun. They might have signed somebody else too, but like that's awesome that the Rangers are just like, fuck it, we're going to actually spend money. And it makes sense. You have a brand new stadium. Why wouldn't you spend money? Why wouldn't you try to build a winner if you don't have the prospects right away and you have the money to do it and you have the resources to do it? Like, good for Miami spending money. You know, they, they've they been previously tanking. The Tigers are looking to spend. They haven't got involved. But who knows? Maybe they come down with a Korea deal. And any deal that does happen, by the way, I taped this at 10, almost 11 now on Sunday. So anything after... After that, I am in in a grace period. But yeah, Eduardo Escobar leaves for the Mets. Uh, Avisel Garcia leaves for Miami. Eduardo Escobar really wasn't a surprise. I don't feel like he found a role with the Brewers, and I don't think the Brewers really felt like they wanted to bring back Eduardo Escobar. I felt like they, they think they can do a little bit better. Two years, $20 million deal is a nice one. For Escobar, who goes to the, the Mets, will be the headlines with they do end up with Scherzer, which it looks very possible. Um, Avisel Garcia wasn't a surprise either. Uh, they didn't give him the qualifying offer, which would have been $18 million. Now, Garcia would have had, had a choice there. It would have been Garcia's decision whether to choose the qualifying offer or not. Um, I don't think he would have because he got a four-year deal. I mean, he's set now really for the rest of his career. Um, he'll be there till 34. I trains in Miami. Um, I, I don't think the Marlins are going to suddenly be a playoff team. They do have Trevor Rogers, who is a potential Cy Young candidate, dark horse next year. But that's really it when it comes to the Marlins. Um, we might have been able to see Avisail Garcia's peak last season, um, and the Brewers could have got hit on discount and I don't know if Avi will be able to emulate that in Miami. Also, you got to remember Miami is a lot different in terms of hitting in, in Miller Park. Um, when it's in Miller Park, you're able to hit bombs out of there. Those are fly balls or doubles in Marlins Park. So just keep that in mind as well. I don't think teams like that sometimes consider that the raw power you're showing at one stadium is going to be a little bit different at the other stadium. So we'll see if the Brewers get themselves involved in the hot stove uh, in the next couple days or if a, a player that is a Brewer is now somewhere else. We'll talk about that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's at least fun. I think baseball needs to keep kind of keep doing this. Like, if I was the MLB, now you don't want the work stoppage, but I'd look at this and say, all right, we need to have, like, a free agency day. And, like, this is the day where the league year ends. We want to incentivize teams. We'll... You know, bonus out X amount of dollars if you sign guys before this date. 
and really sort of make it a thing. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, we'll see. We'll see what goes on in the next day or two. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's it's going to be a good time. All right, that does it for our show. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about the Badgers. I want to get into a little bit about the struggles with Paul Chris and everything like that. I thought it'd be a good one to talk about. Um, I'm sure we'll have some residuals from the Packers. I'm sure maybe a little bit from the Bucks as well. All right, take care of yourself, guys. Have a great Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.